You're listening to Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. It's Monday. It's time to start a week off right. We always do that with Scripture, and this series we've been in is about the Psalms of David. We're now in Psalm 51. We're wrapping that up today. Yeah. It was a tough one to start because there was some hard language in there, and we had to kind of wrestle through some of the issues that are presented that seem to be pushing buttons in our generation. The Scripture, of course, is for every generation. That does not mean that it always feels the same for every generation that reads it. Our generation is struggling through an awful lot of systemic traumas, really, within the church, in the world. There's a lot of clashes going on and a lot of abandoning, it seems, going Mm, on. mm -hmm. And it felt like, in some ways, David was giving voice to the abandonment we feel by God when we've done wrong. Mm -hmm. And he has to claw his way back on his hands and knees to get before God again and say, don't desert me, especially when I need you most when I failed you. I got to be honest, I was really hesitant to do Psalm 51 because of what it came out of. The murder of Uriah the Hittite. David forcefully taking his wife from him and raping her, the whole messiness of all of that. Over the years, I've come to look at David as just a guy, just a man, and more than he's been venerated so much in our culture, in the church. It was hard for me to think about, okay, yeah, God forgave him for this horrible act. But the more that we have read through Psalm 51 and the discussions that we've had, it really is a great picture of what it should look like even some ways for us when we come to a place of real confession. You say great image or picture of what to do in those kind of circumstances. That's like an odd word for me to use on that. I mean, Mm. I think it's useful, it's productive, but... I don't even want to hang this picture on my wall either saying this is the ultimate of what it is to be a man after God's own heart. Yeah, he pursued him. He pursued his forgiveness, his mercy at this point, but he still hadn't even begun the hard work of resolving the sins he committed Mm -hmm. against others Yeah, or dealing with what was going to come later in his life. I mean, obviously he couldn't see what was going to come of his sin in the next generation, how much pain the whole nation would go through because of what he did. He was dealing with the moments he was living And at that point, all he could do was throw himself on the mercy of the court and let God sort it out. And he did over years and years in his life. But this is not a pretty picture. It never was. And so I don't want to be guilty either in my generation of whitewashing the sins that led up to this confession. Absolutely. I don't mean that in the sense of being great, that David is great. I think Psalm itself is a good representation of what it could look like for us. Yeah. When we really do throw our case before God and say, I've been caught red-handed. And obviously, we don't know. We talked about this before. We don't know what David's steps were after this time with Nathan, with the prophet, confronting him. Perhaps he did go to Bathsheba and confess to her. We don't know. That would be a lovely end of the story. But looking at Psalm 51 itself, we can say, or I can say personally, I've been in spots where my sin has felt so grievous that I felt like my bones were crushed. Mm, I felt like I had been abandoned by God because of my own doing. So I think for me, I can look at this and say, this is an example that I can follow or maybe even aspire to. If we find ourselves in similar situations where we just got caught Mm red-handed. Yeah, I, I see plenty of hope here. But I don't want to, again, make David the poster child for how to fix every moral problem. Right. Because he didn't really fix all those problems. And 
like we said before, he paid the price. But true, the nation also paid the price. It's like anybody who's elevated to a level of authority and responsibility that chooses to go against God's nature. Mm-hmm. Because it was not God's nature for David to go kill somebody for his own benefit, for his own cover-up. He just isn't. This is not God. So maybe it's fair to say that when God says about David, David is a man after God's own heart, it doesn't always mean that he got God's heart or that he accomplished it but that he at least pursued. Mm. Well, I don't think this psalm fixes anything. <laughs> no, you're right. It doesn't fix the problem. It doesn't fix the situation that any of them are in. And it certainly didn't fix his family. His family was seriously messed up. Yeah. So I'm not presuming that praying this prayer is going to fix everything. Yeah. But I do see a shift in David's heart here. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing to note, that when there's a shift in our own heart, in our own space, that we can say, I have really, really messed things up, and I'm going to throw myself at the mercy of God and know that God is going to accept me back. I mean, David believes that and knows that. Yeah, we talk about that being almost presumptuous. Look at it and say, what in the world do you have the right to be demanding of God anything? And yet he says to him, I know you are a God who, so please do this for me. And he expects it. But he believes God's word. There's an expectancy, which is seem almost rude. But there's something about there I think God says, Run that risk mm-hmm. of asking me boldly for something, mm-hmm. even if you think you don't deserve it or if it's not, but you have in your mind as being polite. Mm-hmm. I don't know that God wants us always to be polite with him. He wants us to be honest. Mm-hmm. He expects us to be honest because he is never not honest with us. He doesn't hide himself yeah. in a way that makes us believe the wrong thing about him. Well, he is a mystery, but he's not unassailable in his hiddenness. Yeah. You know? Well, grief is not polite. No. And it's not. confession is not polite. It's it's real and it's raw and authentic. And we're seeing a glimpse of that in this psalm. In Psalm 51, David is raw and honest and brutal with himself. Right. He is hanging his hat on God, keeping his word. Yeah. The word he gave him when he was not sinning, mm-hmm. but that didn't know he would need it when he had sinned. Yeah. And we don't really experience the gravity of our own sins until we realize how much we need God to make it right or Mm -hmm. to start us over again, to reboot us. Yeah. And his presumption is something we need to learn about. We can presume upon the promises of God the way God said, come to me. If God said, come, we come, no matter how stupid we feel about approaching him now. David at least took God at his word to follow him when it would benefit his pride none. Yeah, it was going to crush him further to have to go back to God and say, you were right all along. And I was woefully misguided and woefully followed my own desires. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the idea where sin originates. It doesn't originate outside of us. When the Bible says sin is crouching at the door, I think what it's talking about is it's within us ready to crouch and leap out our door at the world. Mm. I don't think it's something waiting to predate upon us like some big, scary animal that wants to devour us. Like we're the victim. Yeah, we are the victim of ourselves. Our sin eats us from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the image that the Bible gives us about where sin comes from is always about originating within us because God doesn't tempt us to do something wrong. It says flat out. God does not tempt anyone. It shows our true colors. It doesn't show that God is trying to trip us up. Right. You know, we wrap up Psalm 51 with an interesting word picture, and we're going to talk about what it means to open our lips. Why don't we go ahead and just read those last four verses of the chapter? I'm going to read from the Common English Bible, verses 15 through 19. Lord, open my lips 
and my mouth will proclaim your praise. You don't want sacrifices. If I gave an entirely burned offering, you wouldn't be pleased. A broken spirit is my sacrifice, God. You won't despise a heart that is broken and crushed. Do good things for Zion by your favor. Rebuild Jerusalem's walls. Then you will again want sacrifices of righteousness, entirely burnt offerings and complete offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. He makes a pivot to an interesting literary mechanism here of identifying himself with embodying the soul of the nation at the end. Mm. In the worst way possible, dictators across history have said, if you insult me, you insult the whole nation. And it all becomes about them. And then they project it on the people that they rule right. and claim that some great evil has happened against our nation. When what is really a personal insult. Mm-hmm. And so they go out of their way to defeat another king or to destroy people who have insulted him within his own kingdom. And then claim is something about an insult against the people. It's not. It's very, very personal and very, very petty. Dictators are like this all through history. Mm-hmm. And when we see that characteristic come out in any leader that aspires to high office, we ought to be very wary because it is, in fact, leading us into the wrong conclusion about that person's authority. David, on the other hand, knows because of the promises and the way the word of God was written about his ascension to the throne that he was picked by God for a purpose. And it is not unreasonable for him to identify with the nation, but he's also showing that the nation itself needs to be restored. Mm -hmm. And Lord, don't forget them. So there's humility here. He's asking God to restore him because he is, in some ways, the nation. It begins with me. The worst of the sins of the nation ended with me. May the best of the nation begin with me. Mm -hmm. There is a sense of turning toward true north again. And if God can restore him, oh, he can restore the nation. Mm -hmm. That's the hope I see in these last few verses. Whether getting Bibles into closed countries, relief supplies into dangerous refugee camps, or providing training in theology books to barefoot pastors as they begin their ministry, these are all the kind of things that we love to share with you every day. And more importantly, they're the kind of things we like to do. The first and best way to reach us is through our website, CompassionRadio.com. You can also support us with a call during Pacific Time Business Hours at 1-800-868-2478. You can also text COMPASSION to 53445 to give right through your phone, no matter where you are. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We so much value your messages and letters. And know this, your gift is deeply appreciated. Thank you for loving us in this way. The worst of the sins of the nation ended with me. May the best of the nation begin with me. Mm -hmm. There is a sense of turning toward true north again. And if God can restore him, oh, he can restore the nation. Mm -hmm. That's the hope I see in these last few verses. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think that's a a good way to look at this, seeing that David is realizing that what he has done, the sin, the evil that he's committed— will indeed infect the entire nation if it's not stopped. Yeah. And it will affect them in grave ways that he has no idea about even in the future. Who knows what evil would have befallen had David not come to this place of contrition and yeah. just throwing himself before God. That's only you know speculation. We'll never know. But yeah. I see here that David is saying the true and real acceptable sacrifice is a broken heart 
It's a broken spirit. And that's what David is counting on. Yeah. He's counting on God accepting. Not seeing restoration here again. We're not seeing forgiveness. We're not seeing a rebuilding of the reputation of David yet. We're not seeing any hope for his family. This is all in the future if it ever happened. Mm -hmm. We can also be presumptuous in that all that worked itself out. Nowhere in the Bible does it say it does. Right. Yet it does say that in this moment, this is the kind of business that David was doing with God, and God, we can assume, listened to it. Mm -hmm. Enough so that the Holy Spirit said, keep this one in the book. This should be one that we all study and even sing these words at times, all the time it comes before he returns. Mm -hmm. It's there because God ordained that it remain in part of our worship hymnal through thousands of years. So there's something that we need to get from this, obviously. But I don't think it has to be that we assume that God made everything pretty again. Well, I don't think we can assume that about anything, even in our own confessions. It's not going to be pretty again. I mean, when you see broken relationships restored, there's still typically a scar there. Yeah. You know, so anytime there's a wound, there's going to be a scar. No amount of massaging or applying the oil of healing to that scar is going to remove it to disappearance. Right. There's still going to be something there. So I think even David knows that. He says, even in all of this, even in your acceptance of this sacrifice of my broken and contrite spirit, I know that there is consequence. Right. There's still something left over. Everything up to verse 18, too, is the present. It's him expressing himself where he is, where he's been found out. When he makes a pivot in verse 18, it says, Be good to Zion. Grant her your favor. Make Jerusalem's walls steady and strong. Mm-hmm. Then there will be sacrifices made, burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings with the right motives that will delight you. So in some ways, David being the prophet now, in spite of being the chief of sinners, is still an ordained prophet. Mm -hmm. And he speaks a vision of what can become of his people, even after great tragedy, him being the big one now. So when he says these things, he's speaking aspirationally, and he sees something that is much sweeter than the sorrow he's in. I believe that. He's Mm -hmm. saying basically that the best of worship will return if, Lord, you have favor. Mm -hmm. So please have favor. All that stuff is implied in there. He doesn't say every single verse, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me. He doesn't do that. This entire hymn. He exposes the reality. He tells the truth. He confesses what he knows about God and what God has said about himself and about David as a servant. And then he says what he envisions. So this is something that is creative in my mind. Verse 18 and onwards is David's heart resonating with what he has a vision for true worship being in the temple, the best of worship. Mm. I think he's seeing all the way past into eternity, really, that the best of offerings, everything is going to be consumed, metaphorically speaking. By the time we are with him in his presence, all that we've had, all that we've done, all that we've owned, all that we've touched in this world will have, in some ways, faded to a vapor. And yet the true thing, the real thing remains And the true thing will be his presence and his acceptance of real offerings. So that's why he talks about what kind of offerings can we really make now that pierce the veil. They don't just deal with sin right now and correct problems here in this world, but that are in his heart. Mm. And I think that's why he says, what sacrifice can I offer you in my broken spirit? Because a broken spirit, O God, a heart that honestly regrets the past, you won't detest. That's the way it says in the voice. Mm. I do believe that we, in those moments of real, true repentance of saying, I really messed up here, 
all I can do is just say, you're right, and you're a holy God, and I'm so sorry for my sin. When we say those things, we get to experience in some ways God's full acceptance of all that we are. We don't really know he really accepts us. If we, All we think is that he only takes us at our best. Mm, yeah. Well, in the Passion Translation, verse 19 is really beautifully written. It says, And when we are fully restored, you will rejoice and take delight in every offering of our lives as we bring our sacrifices of righteousness before you in love. Mm. And I think that is something we can hold on to now because we don't sacrifice bulls in the temple at this time. But we can bring our sacrifice of praise, of righteousness, and works of love for God and our neighbors to the altar, to him. The things he's talking to here are the total sacrifice of something that would be completely consumed by God. Yeah. When you have a burnt offering, you don't take it home and have a meal out of it. Other kinds of offerings were offered at the temple, which would actually feed the professionals that ran the temple. So kind of like the salary for the pastors. They would be able to get what they needed to eat and take care of the temple by the offerings that people brought. But some of them, God said, is just for me. Now, we're on the other side of the cross here, so there is nothing left to be consumed. God consumed himself on the cross and let it all burn up there. Mm. So what is left to give him but things that are living sacrifices? And Paul talks about that in Romans. Yeah, We want to be living sacrifices that actually survive the offering Mm. and bring life to others along the way. Sometimes we lay down our lives. That's what a martyr does. But a living sacrifice is one that day by day gets to bring themselves to the altar and say, I'm here again, Lord. You are holy and worthy of my praise. Mm. In this translation, the voice, verse 15 says, Oh, Lord, pry open my lips. Mm. And I looked at that phrase, that's a little odd. Yeah. In the transliteration of the Hebrew, all it says basically is, Lord, if you will open my lips, I will. Okay. So I wondered if it was kind of one of those, Lord, even if I am resistant, just drag it out of me. Is that what it means? Or is it something mm. more like if I'm paralyzed and I can't even lift my lips to praise you, please help me to do yeah. it. I don't know what the image is that David had in his intention there. Either way, what I see is an impossibility, that we don't know how to get the words out somehow. Again, it goes back to what Paul says about the Holy Spirit. We don't know sometimes what to say, but the Holy Spirit goes before the Father on our behalf with groanings too deep for comprehension. Intercedes. He intercedes, yeah. And so there's been times, we've talked about this in the past, honey, when, when I have been in a place of deep despair, deep depression. I've struggled with that throughout my life. When I didn't even feel like I could pray, Mm -hmm. when I didn't feel like I could be grateful, when I didn't feel like I could worship at all. Or bring an offering of anything that God would accept. Exactly. And this is kind of what I see in this verse. I see that, that David is in a place of despair. He's just in a place of raw openness here. And he says, I can't do anything. I'm still stuck. Open my lips. You do it. That's what the word intercede means. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we just take an idea to the Holy Spirit and say, oh, Holy Spirit, can I delegate this to you to go pray for me? Yeah. It says he picks up the baton when we've dropped it. He picks up the sentence where we trailed off. Mm -hmm. He lifts us up and puts us in the chair from the floor that we've been weeping on so he can stand before the Father and say, do you see this? Do you see the suffering of your child? Mm -hmm. When God's Spirit does that for us, he is identifying with us. So when you intercede for, you're saying, I get this. And they don't have the words for right now, so I'll speak the words they can't speak. You know what? It's not even a word. It's a groan. Mm -hmm. 
you just have to throw yourself in there and just wail it out if necessary. How many times do we ever imagine that God himself, when we can't even speak, lays on the floor writhing in pain for us? Mm. I really do believe that's the imagery here, that when the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, whatever is the deepest part of us that we're so afraid to let loose or we can't figure out how to get it out, but we feel like we're going to explode, that the Holy Spirit does it in a way that doesn't kill us. But if we watch, we can see him emoting for us in ways that we wish we could have if we had had the strength to do it. Right. So I would say that when the Bible says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, don't turn your eyes away. If you sense that God is picking up the baton for you because you don't know what to say next, watch and listen to what he does next. Ask him to let you see it Mm -hmm. so that you can see who he sees you to be, you Mm -hmm. know, and to be you on behalf of you, to be your true representative, your honest lawyer before the Father. Not because the Father is looking down at anger at all, but because he's looking down, he was a father. And he's saying, what is he trying to say? Holy Spirit, speak for him. Like the Father is saying, help him out here. Yeah, Help her out. That's what David is left with. The very last thing he says, Lord, is, I can see this thing. I can't imagine it ever happening, but I know it can happen because of you. So have pity on your kingdom. Have pity on your Zion. Bring them back to life. Make it possible for all of my people to finally worship you in spirit and in truth. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where Jesus picks it up and embodies that and says, Father, they're in me and I am in you, so we're okay. Everything about Jesus saying we're one, he keeps adding us to it. Yeah. You know, and I think David sees that too. We're one together when you know the Father is satisfied, you know the people have offered something they're not afraid of, and that the offering itself is truly recognized by both as being something that is worthy and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And we have no fear anymore. And I really do believe that David wants to come out of this not afraid, not afraid of God's judgment, and not afraid that he won't live up to his own word, or that he, David, won't be able to come back to life. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want this chapter to be a death sentence. And I think God makes it very clear that neither did he. Yeah. On that note, we leave you with the end of Psalm 51. A tough psalm in a lot of ways, but it's worth digging into, friends. If you haven't started yet, go back and listen to the past broadcast that we have on our podcast section of our website. Every week we've had this discussion. We've had a few key questions that might prompt some ideas for you to study. And like always, we invite you, encourage you really, to find a friend, sit down and study the word together. Maybe the study we've done together might bring up an opportunity for you to sit down, have coffee with somebody and a study guide and ask yourself some questions. How would I interact with the Holy Spirit in times like this? And then share it with somebody. Let them speak to you. You might be surprised how much God can bring out of another person if you sit down with them and study the word together. Thanks for joining us today on Compassion Radio. And have a great week. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hey
Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We need you, friend, so contact us today.